6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 24 through 28. Okay, let's... uh Bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time and opportunity where we can meet safely and to study your word. We pray you'd open our hearts and lives to this opportunity, Father. We pray that through all of this, we might grow in grace the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Well, we're studying the book of Second Chronicles. And this session is going to address chapters 24 through 28. And First and Second Chronicles, of course, First Chronicles had the genealogies all the way from Adam to the, the end of the exile. Uh, first Chronicles, first nine chapters. Then the rest of First Chronicles was all about the reign of David. In Second Chronicles, we had the first nine chapters about the reign of Solomon. And then we had the civil war and the Davidic dynasty. The uh, books of First and Second Kings, Samuel and Kings, focus on the history, the political history. Second, uh, First and Second Chronicles will focus on the religious history of the southern kingdom. That is the primary focus. Because the real subject here is the Davidic dynasty. And uh, if you remember our timeline from learning the Bible in 24 hours... We obviously had from Samuel through that Saul, David, Solomon, and then the split, then the civil war between the southern kingdom, Judah, and northern kingdom, Israel. And uh, First and Second Kings, of course, focuses on that political history, but uh, Chronicles, First and Second, First Chronicles is roughly comparable to Second Samuel, focusing on David. Second Chronicles, taking it from Solomon on. And of course, we are well into the period of, of uh, Second Chronicles. I know this would be hard to read. We don't have to read all the detailed names, but it, it, a lot of confusion may have occurred with some of the names because uh, as we look at uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, um, Israel went, their kings went from bad to worse. Um, in Judah, they went, they had a few good ones, about five really outstanding ones. But uh, the, uh, from 931 to about 721, the, the northern kingdom will cease to exist. And uh, the southern kingdom will go into captivity, but with the commitment by God that after 70 years they'd return, not because they deserve it, but because of his commitment to David. But one reason I wanted to portray all of this is not to confuse. We have a Jehoram in both Judah and Israel, that is, the, both the southern and northern kingdom. And we also have an Azariah in both places, and they're almost contemporaneous. Many people get confused because many of these names sound similar and are held by many different people. We try to keep that straight as we go. Now, we're going to encounter, before this evening's over, the, uh, a daughter of one of the really bad guys in the northern kingdom, a guy by the name of Ahab, who married Jezebel. And uh, they have a daughter by the name of Athaliah. And uh, she's going to be 
a piece of work, believe me. So we'll talk about her later tonight. But getting, going through the Davidic dynasty itself that we've been focusing on, they had five good guys. Many of them were bad. Some of them were okay. But there are five that you do want to note were out, are outstanding. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, and then Hezekiah and Josiah. Hezekiah being the, probably the prince of the bunch. But uh, last time, we reviewed Jehoshaphat through um, Ahaziah and Athaliah. And uh, the family of Athaliah is quite a... Uh, the, the line of Judah, of course, goes David, Solomon, Abijah, Asa, Je Jehoshaphat, Jehoram. But over in the northern kingdom... Under Omri, he had a son by the name of Ahab who married a Phoenician um, gal by the name of Jezebel, who is, uh, that's the gal that opposed Elijah, Mount Carmel, all of that. They had a daughter that was very much an echo of Jezebel by the name of Athaliah. And she marries Jehoram of Judah. And that creates all kinds of problems. Had, uh, Jehoram had six other brothers. But anyway, she uh, uh, ends up causing all kinds of trouble. Daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, she, uh, when Jehoram was 32, he succeeded to the throne. Athaliah became then the queen of Judah, in a sense, and she will take the throne. Many people are shocked to discover that there was a gal for, on the throne of David for six years and did a lot of trouble. And uh, the first recorded act of Jehoram's reign was that he murder of his six younger brothers, but she, this gal, after eight years of royal life, she became a widow. And uh, her son Ahaziah, who was then 22, ascended to his father's throne. She ends up murdering her grandchildren, among other things. Within one year, the young king was slain by Jehu, along with the brother of Ahaziah and their sons. She then destroyed, or tried to destroy, I should say, all the royal seed of the house of Judah. Fortunately, one of them was hidden by her sister, strangely enough. And uh, Joash, then just a baby, escaped by the intervention of his aunt, in effect, uh, and uh, was, was uh, kept secreted um, until they were able to establish him on the throne. And uh, so, but in the meantime, Athaliah herself proclaimed herself sovereign, held it for six years. Many people studying the Bible are shocked to discover that there was a gal, a very nasty gal, that uh, sat on the throne of David for that length of time. And uh, a portion of the temple was pulled down, and the material was used to structure a temple to Baal. These are dark times. But Jehoiada had married the daughter of uh, Athaliah, Jehoshaphat. That's the one that, that hid uh, the kid. Um, and uh, he gets promoted to high priest, and he is secretly faithful to the Yorhevave, the, the Jehovah, or however you want to say it. And... Uh, for six years, Joash is concealed in their apartments from the queen who didn't know of his existence. Would have been, she would have been, uh, would not turn a, a, would not have withheld anything to make sure that that was wiped out. But in the seventh year of this kid's life, a counter-revolution is effected. Athaliah is killed by avenging guards, uh, suffering a very similar doom to her, as her mother did, Jezebel did previously. So we have this family of Athaliah, and as we put it down here, of course, Joram kills his six brothers, and uh, meanwhile, Joram gets killed, and uh, so do, it's, it gets to be quite a field day where 
even Joash will end up killing the, uh, well, he'll take the, he'll take the uh, throne, but uh, even the son of Jehoiada, his main benefactor, will get murdered before it's all over. So it's a messy time. Well, tonight, we'll go from all of that to take a look at Joash to begin with, and we'll go, few, go through a few others. Chapter 24, Chronicles, that, that was all by way of review. Uh, and uh, so in chapter 24, verse 1, Joash, who was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. Now, Jehoiada is really the guy that supervised him and took care of him. And as long as Jehoiada is alive, Joash does pretty well. He gets, a, you know, he gets some positives on his report cards. When Jehoiada dies, then uh, things turn pretty sour. So Joash doesn't come up with a clean slate. In any case, uh, Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. That's an important qualification. And Jehoiada took for him two wives, and he begot sons and daughters. Kind of surprising in a sense, because Jehoiada was really pretty much by the book, pretty solid. But he does uh, get two wives for the king, which was technically against the Torah. But nevertheless, that uh, was a, a common practice. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. That's pretty impressive for this young guy. This is very positive. He gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out into the cities of Judah and gather all, the, all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that ye hasten the matter. Albeit the Levites hastened it not. Very lenient. They're victims of the past, which has been very lenient. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said to him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection, according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken up the house of God, and also all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow on Balaam. Balaam, Balaam being plural of Baals, obviously. And at the king's commandment, they made a chest and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. You'll find many churches, now they did this to, get to, 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 to make sure there was no graft and so on. Many churches will set out what they call the chest of Joash. It's after this passage. It's a way of, of, of having a special drive for offerings or whatever. You may hear that term. Anyway. They made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to bring in to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. And uh, so, now it came to pass that at what time the chest was brought into the king's office by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money... The king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to its place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. So this was a working project, worked well apparently. And the king and Jehida gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord and also such as brought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. So the workmen wrought and the work was perfected by them and they set the house of God in his state and strengthened it. So during, obviously, during the previous reigns, they had 
The place is pretty much destroyed, neglected, the practices abandoned. So he's instituting a revival and um, getting these repairs made, raising the funds. This is very positive. Again, the chronicler is focusing on the spiritual or religious history of the southern kingdom. And so it, he, the chronicler will emphasize the, the uh, faithfulness and not necessarily get into all the politics and a lot of the other background. That's why you generally want to study this in parallel with First and Second Kings, which will have a lot of other detail that the chroniclers don't really focus on. And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehida, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels and gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehida. That's the priest. Not the king, the priest, because when he's going to die, it's going to turn, down, turn sour. But Jehida waxed old and was full of days when he died. 130 years old was, was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. That will not be the case with, his, with the king, however. Now after the death of Jehida came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king, and the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. Bad news. That's, in other words, they turned to idolatry. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them, that is, God sent prophets to them, to bring them again to the, unto the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not give ear. So we got dark time coming here. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehida, the, the priest. Now get the picture. Zechariah is the son of the benefactor of the king. Jehida is the guy that took care of him as a kid, was his primary counselor during the good days. He has a son by the name of Zechariah. Which stood above all the people and said to them, Thus saith God, why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. Familiar words, very, uh, again, this is almost sounds like the book of Judges again. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. In that brief sentence, is a very, that's a very disturbing thing. That the king didn't spare Zechariah, the son of his primary benefactor. He let this mob, if you will, at his encouragement, kill the son, the son of Jehida. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehida his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and required it. That's what the priest said as he died. And it came to pass at the end of the year that the host of Syria came up against him. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all the spoil of them unto the king of Damascus. It's disturbing to realize how often God uses a, uh, enemies as his instruments of judgment. That's what he did here. That's what he's going to do into the northern kingdom completely. And as you read this, it gets very disturbing because many, when, when I travel, one of the most common questions I get asked by audience when we have a question and answer period, we usually do, is why hasn't God judged America? Billy Graham quipped so many years ago, 
God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the same sentiment that Thomas Jefferson said back in 1781. I tremble for my country when I recall that God is just and that his justice will not sleep forever. So one of the things that some of us worry about is, is, God, is, is America right for judgment. The only positive we can come to is Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, because of our uh, commitment. Clumsy sometimes, deceitful many times, but nevertheless a commitment to the, of Israel's right to exist. And as, that, as we waffle on that, if we should turn from that, I think it's, it could be very, very, again, we would fit the same situation we have here. Moving on, verse 24. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered a very great host into their hand, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. The Syrians came up with a minority group and were able to subdue a very great host. Why? Because that was God's will to judge these people. And when they were departed from him, for they left him with great diseases, his own servants conspired against him for the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and slew him on his bed, and he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they buried him not in the sepulchres of the kings. So the pre Jehoiada the priest was given honor, honorable burial. Not so for Joash. Not a winner. Not a winner. And these are they that conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shimeoth, an Ammonitus, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimrith, a Moabitus. The names of these two assassins, which by the way are also listed in uh, Second Kings, uh, added they were an Ammonite and Moabite. This is probably his way of blaming foreigners for the deed against the anointed son of David. You see, that would have been, it would have been unthinkable for, no matter how much they hate him, to kill an anointed son of David. But the way it worked out, foreigners did it. So they don't fall under those kind of traditions, obviously. Anyway, now concerning his sons and the greatness of the burdens laid upon him and the repairing of the house of God, behold, they are written in the story of the book of the kings. And Amaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. And so with that, we now go to the next king. We'll go to chapter 25. We've got roughly a chapter per king here. We've got 21 kings. We're going to have more chapters than that because we've got a lot to talk about Hezekiah when we get there. Anyway, Amaziah is in chapter 25. And uh, Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Johadadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect, or not with a complete heart, not completely. And he did pretty well, but not, full, not wholeheartedly. Can I say it that way, maybe? In fact, one of his first official acts will be uh, avenging his father's murder. Verse 3, Now it came to pass when the kingdom was established to him that he slew his servants that had killed the king his father. But he slew not their children, but did as is written the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers. But every man shall die for his own sin. And that's in Deuteronomy 24, 16. It was a basic principle. And uh, so it, in that sense, he's, he's honoring the, the constraints that are imposed by the Torah. So this implies he, he's going to turn out to be a moderately good king here. 
Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over the thousands and captains over the hundreds and according to all the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war that could handle spear and shield. So he's strengthening the military here, getting it organized. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. Now Israel is... That, that, the term here, of course, is referring to the northern kingdom. Many people get confused because the, the word Israel can be used for the whole nation. Here it's being used for that northern kingdom. Judah, that's why I try to use terms northern kingdom, southern kingdom to avoid confusion. The southern kingdom known as Judah, the northern kingdom known as, as, as Israel. But he hires 100,000 mercenaries, in effect, from the northern kingdom, which in many respects is a rival or a competitor for sure. Verse 7, but there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. Ephraim is the dominant factor in the northern kingdom. And uh, the prophets are... See, Amaziah's got a strong interest in military affairs, because he's raised 300,000 men, hired an additional 100,000 mercenaries. and uh, But this is virtually equivalent to an ungodly alliance because the northern kingdom was in open idolatry. And so from time to time there's peace between the two, but there should never be partnership. The northern kingdom was idolatrous. They did not hold to the, to, to the temple worship and the, and, the, and the Torah. Now the southern kingdom, who theoretically did that, did it very poorly because many kings just let it abandon, as you've just seen. So... Uh, we don't know the name of the man of God here, but he's just reminding him that God is not with the northern kingdom, so why align yourself with him? But if thou wilt go, do it, and be strong for the battle, God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. In other words, he's already paid these guys the, the hundred talents of silver, and so uh, they're, he's going to tell them to go home. They've been paid. He'll tell them to go home, and they'll be bitter. Why would they be bitter? They've been paid. They don't have to fight because they're also after the plunder. Amaziah separated them to it, the army that was come to him out of Ephraim, to go home again. you think they'd say, great, they got paid. They don't have to work. No. Wherefore, their anger was greatly kindled against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Because they've been gypped out of their plunder, in effect. Because it wasn't just the pay, it was the opportunity in battle to, to participate in the spoil. Amaziah strengthened himself and led forth his people and went to the Valley of Salt and smote of the children of Seir 10,000. And so this is probably in the Dead Sea area, as you can probably gather. And another 10,000 left alive did the children of Judah carry away captive and brought them to the top of the rock, cast them down from the top of the rock, that they were all broken in pieces. So they took an additional 10,000 prisoners, but killed them. But the soldiers of the army which Amaziah sent back, that they should not go with them to the battle, fell upon the cities of Judah from Samaria even to Beth Horon, and smote 3,000 of them and took much spoil. So the frustrated Israeli troops that had been not allowed to participate in, the, in central Israel, they, uh, they killed 3,000 people and took a lot of 
spoil. And now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense to them. This is astonishing. It shows you how fickle the human art is. Here, God gives him the victory. He, doesn't have, he didn't need this extra army that he purchased. God gave him the victory anyway. And uh, he comes back and honors the gods of the Edomites. It's um, bewildering, bewildering. Wherefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah. Can you imagine? And he sent unto him a prophet which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? In other words, why are you honoring these so-called gods of the Edomites when those so-called gods were ineffectual at protecting their own people. You know, the logic is, is, is people insist upon worshiping the gods that aren't and the demons who are. It came to pass, as he talked with him, that the king said to him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear. Why shouldest thou be smitten? When the prophet forbear and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee because thou hast done this, and has not hearkened unto my counsel. The, the king was quick to threaten the man of God. And uh, the last words of that prophet is that Amaziah would come to know God's punishment because of his rejection of his counsel. Then Amaziah, the king of Judah, took advice, sent to Joash, the son of Johaz, the son of Jehu, the king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another face to face. So he's, in effect, ready to war wage war eyeball to eyeball is really what's going on here. And Joash is going to reply to Amaziah with a little parable of his own. Now this is the Joash, the king of Israel. Not the, there's a different Joash than we talked about a little. There's two, again, you've got these similar names. This is Joash, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music